The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. And I'm Sam Babuol Samet. So, Sam, let's uh, jump right into what we're driving. I had something nice that I'm happy to talk about, but I want to hear what you're in first. Well, I had something really nice, too, and also really, really big, although not as big as it could be. Uh, and that's the, the new 2018 Lincoln Navigator, uh, which is by far and away the best Navigator yet uh, by, so, by a long shot. Yeah, and you, we, I guess we teased that a little bit last week where you'd mentioned that you had it and how um, finally Ford has successfully differentiated Lincoln quite a bit from its Ford counterparts. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the Navigator, you know, obviously shares its its platform with the Expedition and to, to some degree with the F-Series trucks, but particularly the Expedition, you know, both of them, right, you know, they're both body on frame vehicles, just like the, the pickup trucks um, with uh, now aluminum bodies. Um, <clears throat> the, the two big utilities, though, differ uh, from the pickups in that they have an independent rear suspension, which um, is... Uh, you know, personally, I think a huge advantage over the the GM uh, pickups, the Escalade, the Tahoe, or Suburban Tahoe, and Yukon. Um, you know, and though the the GM trucks, you know, have for decades been the segment leaders in terms of sales for for full size SUVs. But uh, you know, I think the the Ford and the Lincoln, you know, I think have a really significant advantage because if you if you're going to have a big utility like this, you know, one one of the reasons to have such a large utility is to have you know the three row capability, the ability to carry you know six, seven, eight passengers, and adding the the independent rear suspension makes a big difference because you know now when you don't have to leave room under the under the the rear floor of the the body for the center of the axle to move up and down um you know you're you just you're solidly bolting the the differential and only the wheels are moving um that allows you to make the load floor in the back a lot lower so you get more cargo room plus uh you know you have 
much better seating in the third row. You know, the, the, the Navigator and the Expedition are both available in uh, short and long wheelbase forms. And I had the, 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 the standard body. <laughs> I hesitate to call it short. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's standard, you know, it's like 120 some inches wheelbase. Um, and, you know, I climbed back into the third row of this thing and, you know, because the, the floor is so much lower than it is in a, in a Suburban or a Tahoe, uh, you know, you, you have a much more natural seating position. I'm five foot 10, you know, and in the, the second row, you know, I had tons and tons of room and I was still very comfortable in the third row. You know, and if you go to the long wheelbase version, which is a, you know, almost a foot longer, um, you know, you have even more space back there. So it's, it's really very usable. Uh, you it know, puts it's got, the, it puts the utility in the utility. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, it's, it's huge. It's, you know, in terms of parking it, it's a pain in the neck to park. Although, you know, it does come with, uh, at least the one I had had, uh, active parking assist, uh, which, you know, uh, makes it a lot easier to both parallel and perpendicular park. Uh, and that works, works, reason, works rel <clears throat> pretty reliably now, uh, compared to the, the old days a decade ago when these systems first came out. Uh, you know, so it's, it's very impressive, but the thing that, you know, really sets the, the navigator apart now, you know, it used to be that, you know, um, I mean, the Lincolns, you know, for, for a long time have been based on the same platforms as their Ford siblings. And, you know, when you got in, even when there was differentiation, like if you look at the, the current generation MKZ versus the fusion, you know, the body, you know, all the sheet metal is completely different. You know, it, it, it looks, you know, it looks completely different on the outside. And, a lot of the parts on the inside are different, but there's still a lot of little bits and pieces that are carried over, you know, from the Ford to the Lincoln, you know, so there, there's, there's little detail touches that you can, you can tell that, okay, you know, this thing is sharing componentry with a more mainstream model. You get in this Lincoln, uh, the Navigator, and you compare it to an Expedition or any other Ford, and there there's really not a single visible piece that looks like it came out of a Ford. And really there's, there's, I mean, you know, the, the, the hardware architecture underneath is largely the same, but um, you know, everything that you touch and see um, it looks completely different, com looks completely unique. Yeah. You know, and you know, that's, that's not a trivial task to, you know, to design and validate all those parts, but uh, it's good to see that, that Lincoln is making that commitment to to differentiate its products from the Ford products. You know, so you keep the keep the things that are that are good. You know, things the powertrain. Um, you know, the three point five liter um, EcoBoost. Although for Lincoln, that, that's another you know little detail, but you know it's a differentiator. Lincoln is no longer using the EcoBoost branding on the engines, even though they're the same engines. They're they're no longer called EcoBoost when they're installed in a Lincoln. They're just you know GTD or yeah G, gasoline turbo direct injection GTDI engines. Well, that's sounds um, fancier yeah well <laughs> and you know frankly you know the whole eco thing just doesn't not, really work right like, you know this, this thing got 16 and a half miles per gallon you know but, which but is that's pretty good for oh yeah for you what? know for a three-ton truck packing you know, how much how much horsepower and torque it's like 400 uh, something four, horsepower four, right four, yeah 450 uh horsepower and about the same amount of torque um and it's made it up with the 10-speed automatic 
which you know was designed uh, jointly between Ford and GM. How do you like um, that ten speed? By the way, does it does it do the typical Ford sort of dithering before gear changes and stuff? It, it always seems that when GM and Ford develop a transmission together, GM's uh, software or just the the way it shifts, all of that stuff is is better, even with the same hardware. So I'm just wondering mm-hmm. what your take is. Well, first of all, that hasn't always been the case. When when they first did that six speed transaxle together, the first iterations of it, the Fords actually felt better than the GMs. Uh, eventually, GM you know improved their their software and their calibrations, and it it got to be equal or better. But the in its first iterations, the the Fords generally felt better. That was the six F, right? Or what? Uh, the six the six F fifty, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Ford, the Ford, uh, brand, the Ford, uh, designation was six F 50. And I think the, the GM is like 6080 or something like that. Yeah, it's close enough. Uh, but at any rate, <laughs> um, you know, it, and I haven't actually driven a GM vehicle with the 10 speed in it yet. So hmm. I can't comment on how's their, how theirs feels. Um, hoping to do that soon, but the, um, uh, my only previous experience with the ten with this ten speed was in the Raptor a few months ago, and I was less impressed with it in the Raptor. Yeah, I was but as I think, well. Yeah, well, I think um, you know that you know in that one, you know, I was you know trying to use the shift paddles and you know trying to do some you know trying to drive it a little more sporty, and it just it felt kind of lazy in that yep. one. Yeah. Um, in this vehicle, you know, the, the nature of the Navigator is a very different vehicle. I mean, it's obviously not intended to be a sport truck, you know, or anything like that. And, you know, I didn't really bother trying to, you know, do the manual shifting, even though it's got steering wheel paddles and things like that. I just let it do its thing. I drove it as you would drive a Lincoln, a big Lincoln. And, you know, it felt smooth and quiet, and I never never felt it shifting. You know, I never would have guessed, you know, that it was, you know— I. It, from just from driving it, you, you can't really tell, you know, if it's a um, a four speed or a ten speed. You know, I mean, it was just it was that smooth and refined. Um, and you know, I, I'm I'm sure there's some you know slight differences in calibration between those two trucks, but you know, it's it's mechanically the same. So you know, I think it's fundamentally a good transmission, and it you know just comes down to the software setup for it. You know, what it ultimately ends up feeling like, and you know, like I said. You know, I didn't drive this thing, you know, as a sport truck. You know, I drove it, you know, fairly briskly at times just to see, you know, what a three ton, you know, luxury SUV could do. And, you know, it was more than acceptable. I mean, you know, it has plenty of power to move that thing, plenty of torque. So, you know, it was good in that respect. Um, you know, everything else about it felt really nice. It, you know, the the Lincoln 30 way power adjustable <laughs> seats in the front, you know, uh, with massaging and heat and everything else, you know, very nice to have. Um, you know, there it doesn't have, you know, I think the dozen or so different massage patterns that you get in the Mercedes S class, but, uh, it was, it was still, it still felt really nice on my back. So, um, nothing, nothing really I would complain about with that thing, you know, uh, at, you know, just shy of a hundred grand, um, you know, it's, it's very competitive with what you would, you know, um, get from, uh, you know, like a Mercedes Benz GLS or, you know, probably what we'll see from the BMW, uh, X seven when it arrives, I think later this year, perhaps as soon as, uh, next week, at the Geneva show, uh, in production form. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's certainly cheaper than, than those vehicles are, are likely to be. Um, so I think it's, it's, 
I think it's actually, you know, I, I hesitate to call a hundred thousand dollar, you know, SUV, you know, good value, but compare in its competitive set, right? It, it is a, it is a, it is a good value, and I think at this moment in time, I would say it's probably, I would say it's superior to the, um, to the Escalade, which is, you know, its clearest natural competitor. Really? I mean, uh, that's high praise. The, the Escalade is yeah. pretty good. Yeah, no, it is. Um, but you know, I mean, this, you know, this, this one is, you know, more modern at this, at this moment in time. Yeah. I mean, we will probably see a new Escalade, you know, um, probably by the end of this year or, or early next year, you know, as, or actually, yeah, probably early next year. Um, you know, GM's rolling out their new full-size pickups right now, and the next generation of the utilities that are based on that platform will probably be coming out in the first half of next year. Uh, so it's you know we'll 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 be seeing more of those, and I, I think um, you know it, it's going to be very interesting to watch this segment. Yeah, I mean, it's a still a popular segment, and depending on what the price of fuel does, it it will either be more popular or just continue along with. Uh, the high end stuff is even when there's a gas crunch and, and stuff, these things don't diminish in popularity. People like them. You know, sales dip a little bit, but they still they still remain an aspirational, attainable vehicle that that's because of what it is. It's it's high profile, so it, it really makes a lot of sense for both Ford and uh, or for both Lincoln and Cadillac to to be there and be there with good product. Uh, I'm interested that you compare them to the like the Mercedes and BMW stuff because for me in my mind they don't really they don't really compete they're just two different kind of things. Yeah, I mean you know in ter- if you know and in the most general level you know I mean a full size you know large luxury SUV you know nominally you know it's competitive with a gls um i don't know how much actual cross shopping there is between something like a gls and a navigator um but you know that the hundred thousand plus you know price point you know for a full-size suv um that would you know that would seem to be the uh, outside of the escalade would seem to be the most natural competitor perhaps the um the lexus uh was it the lx the LX570, um, but that yeah. one's not as big. Yeah, the, um, and that's that's the thing. Like even the the Mercedes and the BMWs, they probably, in terms of length, they're probably as big. They they feel narrower. They feel smaller. Yeah, yeah. They, they they definitely don't feel quite as gargantuan as this thing. Yeah, and you know there, there's some other you know neat features about the the Navigator. I certainly like the um, the the automatic power um, running you know retractable running boards. You know as you walk up to the truck. Um, you know, when it senses the key, you know, it senses you walking up with the key on you, uh, the, the, the running boards automatically lower down, making it much easier to step up into this thing. Cause it does sit pretty high on those 22 inch wheels. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, as soon as you close the door, they, they retract back up to the bodywork. And then, um, one of the other features this is the first time I had an opportunity to, to try out, uh, Ford's Alexa integration. Um, and, uh, if, for anybody that's listening, um, sorry I said that the first time. Um, you know, if you happen to have uh, an Amazon Echo device nearby, you might want to just mute the microphone for the next couple of minutes because uh, I'll probably say say that word a few more times. But um, 
a bunch of companies now over the last year and a half, you know, uh, Hyundai was the first, I think BMW is doing it now. Several others now are offering uh, some Alexa skills integration. And, and with the Amazon Echo, uh, with Alexa, there's there's two kinds of integrations you can do. There's Alexa skills, which are basically little apps that you can write that allow you to connect um an echo to other devices other non-Amazon devices to execute certain commands. So like with, with Hyundai's uh, setup, they have an Alexa skill that allows you to um, talk to your echo and, you know, ask it you know, and ask it to do thing, basically use the echo to do voice commands through the blue link remote app to a Hyundai vehicle. So you can ask it to check your fuel level, or if you have a plug-in uh, Hyundai vehicle, you can ask it to check your battery state of charge, things like that through an echo. So that's, that's one form. That's the simpler form of Alexa integration. Ford is the first company to actually integrate Alexa voice services with their vehicle. And they haven't actually done it fully embedded the Alexa voice services. Alexa voice services basically is the component that sits inside the echo device and does the voice recognition and, and, you know, executes the commands. Um, and, uh, there are some other non-Amazon devices on the market now that embed Alexa voice services like the the Sonos One speaker, things like that. Um, Ford is the first automaker to do that. But what uh, the way they've done it is they've done it through their uh, Sync app link uh, capability and using... Um, an Alexa using a, a custom Alexa app that sits on your phone. So if you're using a Lincoln vehicle, it's the Lincoln plus Alexa app in the, the, the Android play store. And there's, there's a similar one in the uh, iOS app store um, or for Ford vehicles, it's a Ford plus Alexa app. And what that does is once you connect that to your vehicle, um, you just say Alexa, and then whatever the same kinds of commands you can do at home with an Echo device, you can do in the car. So you can say, Echo, play me a song, or Echo, tell me a joke, or Echo, um, let's play a game, you know, or let's play Jeopardy. And you can play Jeopardy with the Echo in your car. It'll ask you the, the questions, and you know, just like you can at home with an Echo device. I mean, I guess um, that can keep you awake, but you know what else can do that is another person. That's true. Uh, I mean, th those are kind of trivial applications, but I mean, there, there are some other, you know, more useful applications like, you know, for example, if you have, um, you know, a Nest thermostat at home or, you know, some sort of connected thermostat or connected light bulbs, things like that. And you want to, you know, adjust the temperature as you're coming home, you know, as you're approaching your home or turn the lights on, things like that. You can do that through the Alexa app, through Alexa voice services, because it'll, it'll take, interpret your command and set it, send it over the cloud to your home and do whatever it is you want done. Yeah. And there's all kinds of other things you can do with it as well. Yeah. I, I think they're going to continue to come up with new things that it can do from as we go into this future of talking to devices to get them to do our bidding. And it is handy uh, as much as I complain about talking to machines and it's not something I really it, enjoy. It's, hand, it's handy to, to some people. I mean, do you have an echo at home? Or um, echoes. I we have a, a Google Home which has stayed in the box. Um, yeah. But like in terms of some of the things that are handy, I will often like my wife and I will be talking and we'll often just like grab I'll grab her phone and I'll tell Siri to you know make a shopping list instead of reminder that that kind of thing. Like um, those things are helpful. Like when you're in the car, and, yeah, and, and, yeah, and, you can create shopping lists through through uh, Alexa as well, and you know all kinds of other right. things. 
I mean, it's totally not necessary, but yeah, I mean, I, I have, do it. I, ha- I well. have two Echo Dots sitting in a drawer that, you know, I when I got the first one, you know, they were both gifted to me. Uh, when I got the first one, I, I opened it up, plugged it in, set it up, played with it for about five minutes and then put it back in the drawer because I had no real use for it. Right. You know, because uh, I have I don't have smart devices in my house. And, you know, for things like timers and that, I just, you know, say to my phone, hey, Use Google. Use timer, right. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which. Like, <laughs> this, is the, this is the thing. This is the conundrum where uh, and maybe I'm, I'm just too old for it or I'm just not the right person. Um, I, I can't, unless I'm forcing myself to use the thing, I can't come up with an actual use for it. Like, I, I am the smart device in my home. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> or you like to think you are anyway. Yeah. I, I have a great self uh self <laughs> self-worth yeah um so it sounds like the navigator's a, a pretty good revision and hopefully you know because this is the shakeup at four too hopefully some of the uh reasoning behind making that vehicle so different because that's what lincoln has needed for a long time hopefully because of of what's going on with senior leadership at ford that that idea gets propagated more through the the operation and we see better and more differentiated execution of all of Ford's lines to, to really give them an identity. It's, it's good to see them starting to do that. It's not cheap, but it's, it's worth it because it does elevate Lincoln to be what they've been trying to make Lincoln for like a decade now. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, before, before we finish up with the navigator, there is one other detail I need to mention. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the navigator I had, had the, the black label package. Um, and one of the, uh, you know, the, the theme that was on there, I forget what, uh, what it's called, but it, um, it features, uh, whitewashed teak wood trim. That sounds in there. beautiful. It, it is. It's gorgeous. Um, but first of all, I mean, if you've ever seen natural teak, it's, it's not white, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a fairly dark colored wood, like a, well, yeah. like a redwood. Well, so it weathers um, though. That's the thing. Like on boats, teak is popular yeah. because it doesn't, um, it doesn't rot as, as readily as other woods, but it, it weathers to a gray and you, you do have, you have to oil it. You have to actually yeah, well, use acid and then oil it. Right. And, and, you know, I mean, I have teak patio furniture, you know, right. and I, I have to do that. Um, but the, um, uh, the, the wood trim in the navigator is whitewashed. So it doesn't even really look like teak. I mean, it could be, you know, I mean, if you look really closely, you can see the, the grain that's kind of unique to teak, but uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, it, it could be a number of other things. And, uh, my wife made the comment, uh, when we were going out to dinner and this thing, it's like, you know, well, teak is actually an endangered wood right now. Um, and if you're going to use it in this way, you know, whitewashed where it doesn't look so much like teak, why would you bother using a veneer of an endangered wood, um, you know, in this way, you know, it just seemed like an odd choice and, you know, might be something that, you know, Lincoln design, the Lincoln design team might want to reconsider going forward, you know, thinking about what, what types of woods that they use. You know, like I said, I mean, it looks gorgeous. I mean, personally, I prefer, you know, and it's very, you know, it has a very glossy finish on it. I prefer an open grain wood trim uh, myself, but, you know, that's, that's me. Uh, that's, you know, that's, that's a personal preference, but it, you know, it look, looks great, but, you know, maybe rethink, you know, using teak and, and some other endangered species of wood. Well, I do wonder, and maybe somebody who listens uh, to the podcast works at Ford and can connect us or otherwise we can, we can work the back channel as well, but I I'm sure that that's been a conversation 
that's come up or if it's not i'd be surprised and you know the the materials that go into the cars they have to meet a lot of specifications i wonder mm-hmm. if the wood is like um what is it fsc forestry stewardship council certified um or, or yeah, some, i, I some don't know because uh, no i mean it, it does make a lot of sense you don't want to be putting endangered materials in a car which is like that's just like a double whammy um and you could you could do a whitewashed finish on something like bamboo it's it's different but bamboo is is mm-hmm. definitely and there, yeah i mean i've seen wood. you know there's there's other cars you know with with bamboo interiors i've seen jaguars and stuff with and aston martins with bamboo finishes in there and and they look great yeah yeah but so, now we get just, down to the the uh, designer going, but I didn't want freaking bamboo in my car. I wanted teak. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're not the designer, you should shut up. Um, and maybe yeah. it's reclaimed. I don't know. Who knows? Whatever. And that's that's entirely possible. And if if so, that's great. Yeah. So, so. I'm I'm making a note, and I'm going to try to find out about it. And I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what we got. We get on that. The the car I drove uh, also had some lovely wood trim that didn't look like wood trim, or didn't really stand out as much as it should have. Um. I had the Volvo V90 cross country T6, I think. I don't, it was a very nice Volvo wagon. It was brown with a tan perfect. interior. It was. It's, it's, it's the perfect auto journalist car. Yes, it was. It brown was station lovely. wagon. Um, it's a very. Did it have good a manual Volvo transmission wagon. and a diesel it, too? It did not. That's oh. that's where it falls down. Uh, and we can get to that. But overall, I mean, Volvo has really nailed what their audience, I think, and and what the people who aspire to own this type of car really want uh there i can't imagine that these are not going to sell well among the wagon competitive set uh which includes you know the mercedes e-class um i honestly don't know sort of what other natural competitors it really has you know certainly audi's all road but I, yeah that's the the all road is actually probably the closest um, you know, because, you know, you, you said it's a cross country, so it's, you know, yeah. sits a little bit higher. Yeah. But it, it, like, it didn't look super butch it, because it, it doesn't have, um, the like bare plastic cladding that the original cross country had it, it, it's all painted. So it just, it's a brown wagon and it, it looks good and it looks if you didn't know that it was the cross country, I don't think you'd know that it was supposed to be sort of the all-terrain version of the V90. And it's good. Yeah, it's a, it's a lovely car. I have some issues with the ergonomics. Volvo (laughs) has tried very hard to define their own way of doing things to their detriment. In uh, some ways, I think they've, they've changed up a lot of things. Like even when you get in and you go to start the car, it's, I spent a minute looking for like, where's the button? Where's the, and it's, it's this little thing down on the console that you twist. And, you have to really deliberately twist it as well. Like you've got to twist it and hold it or it'll turn the car, the power on, but then you got to twist it again to turn the engine on. And it, it, the controls gave me some frustration. I was agitated uh, for my first day or two. <laughs> <laughs> I had a little Twitter freak out about census, which is, is bad. And like Casey said, it's, it's slow to wake up. So it, the first mile that you're driving with it, the system is, clearing its throat i don't know what it's doing but when you're trying to adjust stuff and change the radio and things those those are the things that people do when they first get in the car and if you have to sit there and wait for the system and there's no indication that you have to wait for the system it's just laggy and dopey and slow that's really 
really frustrating. And it's it's not intuitive to use. And everything is screen driven, so it's actually quite a distraction. I I was very frustrated with this system and I think that's that's the biggest black eye on this car in particular, but every Volvo, like the XC90 I had as, as well. It, it just, I can't get over that. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me and I'm, I'm not being forgiving enough, but I, I find it a, a real difficult system to use and a real reason to actually not recommend the car. Yeah. You know, I, I don't blame you. You know, I've driven, you know, several uh, of the 90 series Volvos with census over the last couple of years, you know, I've got a, a V9, a V60 uh, coming next month or an XC60 coming next month. Um, I haven't driven the, uh, the V90 yet, but the, you know, census, census is not a great system to put it bluntly. You know, it's, uh, it, it is slow. It is kind of convoluted. It's not very consistent when you're swiping back and forth between the three screens. You know, it's, it's never, never entirely clear where you're supposed to look to find certain features. Um, and that's, that's just not good. No. And I'm, like I said before, I'm really shocked because Volvo has had a real commitment to, solid ergonomics that you can you can operate safely and this just it just kind of walks away from it and at the expense of the driving experience and safety um in in practice i did find myself you know wandering around in my lane because i'm trying to find something simple and stupid that shouldn't be that hard to find and shouldn't be that distracting and while the car had the full suite of, of safety systems. So it would center itself in the lane and it would warn if I'm going to crash into something is I shouldn't have to rely on those active safety systems to just drive the car. Yeah. Did, did you use the pilot assist system? I did not. Okay. Um, And I've heard it's really good actually. So I'm sorry, that's my oversight. I should have actually tried it out. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, I don't know. I've, I've heard people describe it as really good, but my personal experience with it on, I think three different vehicles over the last couple of years has been not so great. Um, I have not been impressed with it. So I shut it off mostly because I wanted to try to get an idea of how the vehicle is on its own without that filter layer of it saving you from yourself. Mm -hmm. I just, I wanted to see inherently how good the V90 is. And it's a very good car. It's a, it's a pretty solid platform. It, it rides pretty well. It handles pretty well. It doesn't embarrass itself really in any respect. The drive V engine is amazing. Uh, the all wheel drive system is good. And that's the, that's the twin charged engine, supercharged and turbocharged. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that engine is fantastic. Uh, you know, overall it's, it's a good wagon and it, and it, it was priced about $70,000, but it was pretty well loaded too. So that's a really solid deal. When you consider premium European wagons, you know, this, this it's going to look like a million bucks when you park it next to everybody else's E-Class and it, it's cheaper. So mm-hmm. that, that's a really solid play. Uh, it's a, it's a good car. And so I don't want to paint it in this light that it's, it's horrible because Dan doesn't like it. <laughs> what Dan doesn't like Dan also learned to live with after a week. You know, I was, I was more pleased with the, except for census. Yeah. Even that, you know, I, I did, I figured it out a bit more. I still don't like it. And I would be angry if I was paying for it, <laughs> <laughs> but by the end of the week, I had figured it out a bit more. Um, it is still distracting. Like at, at its base level, it's distracting. Um, but it, it this is it's a good car and it's it's really well done and I'm pleased as a longtime Volvo owner and fan to see them 
really coming to market with something that nobody else has in a way that nobody else has it. And I think that's going to, going to serve them really well. Um, so I, I did enjoy it. Uh, I wish it, it had a little bit more, uh, supple ride. You know, it's got big wheels and it's, it, it's tuned pretty well, but it, it, it doesn't soak up that high frequency stuff, the small little things, as well as I, I think some of the other competitors do, uh, it, you know, it, it doesn't ride like a BMW, I guess is the thing that I can say, but nothing rides like a BMW except right. for a BMW. Um, I, I just wish it was a little more supple. It felt a little, a little bit stiff. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that the average person is going to, going to feel that though. It's, it's a good wagon. It has my seal of approval, especially in Brown. Now all we <laughs> need to do is put a manual in it and uh, switches. Yeah, there you go. I <laughs> uh, saw, so I would love to see what you have to say about the, what is it, the V90 you've got coming or the XC60? Uh, I've got the V90 coming. Yeah. Or, sorry. See- I've got an XC60 coming as well. I've, I think, I don't think I have a V90 coming. I think maybe it's just the XC60. Okay. Uh, I can't remember. Yeah. You got something coming. I'd love to see what your take is on it. Um, because this is, this is the way Volvo has committed to go and maybe census can be cleaned up with, with some, some interface and processor upgrades. I I, I don't know. Um, the idea, I think in the overall execution, I mean, the, the interior in this car is gorgeous. The materials are beautiful. The, the, everything you touch is, is lovely. It's it's so nice in there, and you look at the price, and yeah, it's expensive, but it's it's not that expensive, you know. If we're, we, like you were talking about with the the Navigator, you know, it's hard to explain value in in a segment that's just pricey to begin with, but uh, you get a lot for your considerable pile of money here. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I have a V ninety coming next week, and then the um, XC sixty coming in April. I would love to hear your you know compare and contrast your experience with the V ninety. Um, and we could determine whether it's just me being crotchety or if I have some legitimate commentary. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I think there's room for both in there. I mean, you know, you are inherently crotchety. I am. Uh, but, that's but I think that there, you know, there's also, you know, plenty of opportunity uh, there for, you know, for some improvement. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, there's, there's nothing, as I said, there's nothing that's so good. It can't be improved upon. That's true. Even me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's the cars. Uh, let's move on to some some news. We're going to keep this one tight. So, uh, yeah. what's been going on this week is uh, it, it looks like there's a couple of introductions of note. Um, yeah. So till yesterday, um, you know, we're recording this on Friday. Uh, on Thursday, um, Jaguar uh, officially introduced the production version of the iPace, their first electric vehicle, and. Um, it you know it looks pretty much almost exactly like the concept that was shown in uh, what November of 2016 at the LA Auto Show. Uh, you know it has changed very little from that concept, and that's a good thing. I think you know I think it's really a it's it's a good looking vehicle. You know for uh, a midsize crossover. Um, you know I think you know Ian Callum and his team have done a, a to me to my eyes you know done a great job of you know taking some you know current Jaguar design language and applying it to a, a new kind of vehicle, you know, a new kind of powertrain taking advantages of the fact that, you know, you don't have to have a big, huge engine compartment and that sort of thing. Um, so I think they've, they've done some really good work there. Yeah. I love how they've taken some obvious swipes at, um, at Tesla while they're at it too. Uh, you know, they're saying things like I wanted to make the, the world's most desirable EV, uh, was what what Ian Callum said um, during the the live stream, and I forget who said it, but it, was, it might not have been Ian Callum, but somebody was like, "I'm in production heaven right now." It's just like, "Oh, yeah, lovely." 
Um, but yeah, I think it it is a. I love that they're they've already defined. It kind of started with the F type. They've defined this new look for Jaguar that has propagated across the line, and it, it's nice to see Jaguar being modern with all this history still there, but not having to do round lights and old saloon looking things. Um, and it makes me wonder what, what's going to happen when this actually goes into to dealerships. Cause you're going to be able to go and just, just buy one. You're not going to have to put a thousand dollars down and go on a waiting list. And I think also it's going to have that Jaguar assembly quality, which is, it's funny that I say this and, given the history. It's actually good. really good now. Yeah, It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's funny, you know, both Volvo and Jaguar, you know, were formerly owned by Ford, you know, and during the, the big downturn a few years back, um, you know, Ford, you know, divested both of those brands, you know, and, and Land Rover as well. And it's, a, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, you look at, um, you know, GM, you know, they got rid of or tried to get rid of Saab you know, and they could never find a really good you know, buyer to, to take Saab and really do something with it. You know, it, it, you know, changed hands a couple of times, you know, but, you know, to companies that didn't really have the resources to do anything useful with it. Well, I I think Saab too, what you, I don't mean to interrupt, but I think Ford was very generous with their sales of, of both Jaguar mm -hmm. and Volvo. They, they, they may have had deals about like, you can only use the IP for so long, but, but GM didn't want to transfer as right. from, from what it sounded like they had that those sobs were on the Epsilon platform and they, they really didn't want to give up control. And I don't think they wanted it to be plagiarized as much. Yeah. So, but, but exactly. Ford gave, gave freely, you know, engines and they, they, they really, they needed to mortgage the farm and they, they successfully did. <laughs> right. And you know, the, both of those brands or, you know, all three of those brands, Jaguar, Land Rover and Volvo ended up with, very good stewards. The companies that bought them, Tata in the case of Jaguar Land Rover and Geely in the case of Volvo, you know, have taken very good care of those brands. They've invested significantly in giving them new products. You know, I mean, it obviously took a few years to get there, you know, to start from scratch and, and give them new products, new powertrains and everything. But they have they have not squandered the value of those brands. They've actually built the value of those brands significantly since they took them over. And, you know, in the case of, of Jaguar Land Rover, um, you know, with, um, with Tata, you know, I mean, they, they've had their, you know, their, they're getting record sales every year. Their sales have grown, you know, beyond where they've ever been in the past. And, you know, Geely, you know, now with uh, with Volvo, you know, also earlier this week, you know, Geely uh, announced that they've uh, bought almost 10 percent of Daimler, which could that's be very interesting yeah, going that, forward. That's a super interesting semi-hostile move. Yeah. But, um, you know, for, for the I-Pace, you know, it's the first all-electric Jaguar, you know, and it's actually going to be assembled by Magna Steer in Austria because uh, Jaguar doesn't have enough production capacity in the UK right now. Um, uh, they, they assemble a good car. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Magna Steer knows how to do, man, you know, how to manufacture vehicles and do them consistently and do them very well. And they, they do, they, they build vehicles for a lot of different brands. I mean, at various times, you know, they've, they've built, um, you know, Chrysler vehicles for the European market. They've built um, vehicles for Porsche, for Mercedes Benz, for BMW, you know, and, uh, you know, they still build uh, the Rapide for Aston Martin. Um, they build uh, some some minis. So, you know, it's 
you know, they, they know what they're doing when it comes to manufacturing. And you combine that with this design, you know, a 90 kilowatt hour battery pack, um, you know, that'll give about, you know, close to 300 miles of range, um, you know, good performance, you know, good, you know, uh, some practical packaging. And I, th- I think, you know, Jaguar is going to have a winner on their hands with this one. Oh, I agree, especially for the the price. It's a, you know, it's not cheap. Again, it's going to be eighty something thousand dollars, but it's also probably going to come to market very very well sorted. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah, you know, we've actually seen pictures of them being tested in various locations, and they've been doing you know uh, pr- testing of the the manufacturing equipment. You know, before they get vehicles what? that are going to go to customers. What? That's crazy talk. Oh, I know it's, it's nuts, but that, you know, it's one of those innovative things that companies sometimes do. <laughs> I love that. It's got, uh, so the way the, it, it, the electric motors are laid out, it's got two, two motors. So it, uh, they all have four wheel driver, all wheel driver, or, or, you know, however you want to adjust the software to do whatever. Um, so it, it's going to drive really well. It's got a lot of, it's, it's going to be heavy, but it's got that weight low down and it's, it's got all four wheels involved. So, it's going to have impressive performance. It has 300 miles of range, like you said. They didn't try to reinvent the wheel. You know, it's got normal doors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's going to have uh, the Jaguar in control, touch pro, whatever um, infotainment stuff, which is, is decent. Um, and I think the most interesting thing to me is they're doing a racing series with this, right? Like, yeah. It, not drag yeah. racing, like racing, yeah. racing. Yeah, no, uh, you know, road racing, um, you know, it's going to launch with the next, uh, you know, later this year with the, the next season of Formula E. It's going to be a support series for Formula E. They're going to have uh, 20 iPaces, you know, for the uh, iPace E-Trophy series, um, you know, all identically prepared. And I think, you know, this is one of the the interesting from a marketing standpoint. I think this will be very interesting because one of the. You know, one of the things that Tesla has really traded on with the um, the Model S and the Model X is their incredible acceleration. And they are, you know, wicked fast in a straight line, but they don't handle all that well. And, you know, if you if you try to do more than two launches in a row um, or drive it fast for any length of time, the the battery pack, the power electronics and the motor all start to overheat and it starts to throttle the power down. And so after the first couple of minutes, you know, it slows down significantly. Um, and you know, what Jaguar is doing, you know, with doing this racing series, will you know, they'll be able to demonstrate, look, we can do the, do this, but actually do it in a way that we can provide sustained performance. And it was, it's interesting. Right. There was a, an interview earlier this week that came out with the head of Porsche's EV program, basically saying the same thing, you know, we're designing the mission E to provide, you know, the kind of, you know, strong, consistent performance that Porsche customers expect, not like that other brand, you know, where you can do two or two launches in a row and then it starts to throttle you down. You know, our car will be able to run fast all the time. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. And really, in in this situation, it's just like any other racing situation, too. When you need some endurance, it's it's thermal management. And yeah, the the ability to manage that heat and get, get it off the batteries and off the electronics and, and the motors. Uh, well, not, not only, I mean, you know, thermal management is, is one piece of the pie, but also, you know, the way you design the components to begin with so that they're more efficient. So they don't generate as much heat to begin with. So yeah, you, know, you want to minimize the heat you generate and then the heat, that heat that is there, you want to be able to get that off of there as quickly as you can. Right. Uh, and that's, that's something I have great faith in Porsche and Jaguar, uh, 
already knowing how to do really well. It's funny. T- 25 years ago, would you, would you have ever said those words that I have faith in, in Jaguar with being able to manage electrical stuff? Um, <laughs> for motorsports, yes. For road cars, no. Uh, <laughs> you know, Jaguar, that at that time, they were tied up with, with TWR and racing. They were they were doing great. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, the racing stuff was fantastic. But uh, yeah, uh, com- completely aside, uh, we went over the weekend to the Lars Anderson Auto Museum here in, in, in the Boston area, which is, is, I think it's the oldest uh, auto museum in the country because they have a supercar show. Uh, it's a small museum, but they had an XJ220 and it was just awesome to see. I was explaining it all to my nine-year-old. It's cool. They also Excellent. had an Auburn Speedster. So, <laughs> um, yeah, but anyway, it was just, it was the Jaguar racing TWR kind of late nineties or late eighties or connection. So anyway, uh, yeah, this is, I think racing is going to teach them a lot about how to make these things really durable for the street. Cause right now, you know, EVs as good as they are and they're, they're better than they've ever been. They still have this, this bit of fragility around them just because the technology is a lot younger than the internal combustion and the infrastructure for it. The one sticky problem I see with this is it has a big battery pack. It has good range. How do you charge it? Where, where are those DC fast chargers that can, can charge it up to its, its max capacity? Cause it, it can handle a quick charge, but I don't know that you're going to be able to find a charger to do that. Yeah. Uh, well, the, that's, they're starting to open up. Uh, they've, they've begun deploying, um, a network of fast charging, you know, 100, 150 kilowatt fast charging stations uh, across Europe. Uh, last fall, they started deploying those. And so by the end of this year, there should be a few hundred of those. Um, and then there will, there's also, there's already about a thousand um, DC fast charging stations uh, here in the U.S. Most of them, unfortunately, are still concentrated near the coasts, uh, but they are there. Um, you know, so they're, you know, they're not quite as useful, you know, if you're doing a cross country trip as the superchargers, but we'll be getting a lot more of them in the middle part of the country over the next year or two as well. Um, and in large part because of the, um, the VW diesel settlement, you know, the electrify America program yep. is putting several thousand new, um, charging stations in place over the next uh, four years. So we'll be seeing a lot more of those here as well. Yeah, I think that's uh, one of the uses that Massachusetts is uh, doing with their money from that settlement, too, if I recall. I skimmed something about that. So I'm going to just shoot from the hip and be misinformed, uh, <laughs> as usual. Uh, so the other introduction this week was the GMC Sierra. Which, yes. Uh, it's it's better. It's impressive. Yeah, I mean, you know, it looks good, but yeah. there's actually some really interesting features that they've done on this, you know, especially a couple of things in particular that distinguish it from uh, the Silverado that we saw in January at the uh, Detroit show. Uh, and, you know, among those are uh, the... Uh, uh, the, this new tailgate, um, I forget what they call it now. The tailgate with it, the tailgate so you can tailgate? Yeah, it, well, it, it's a it's a multi-part tailgate. Um, so it, they oh, it's the multi that's it that's the multi-pro tailgate. Um, so I mean, sometimes for, you know, I just want to punch marketers in the face. I know, <laughs> but uh, I think probably it was about ten years or so ago. You know, we saw uh, Ford come out with a step that was built into the tailgate. So when you wrap the tailgate down, you could pull the step out, you know, and then it would drop down and there's a handle that lifted up. So you could step up into the bed of the truck. And, you know, that was, that was 
you know, that's kind of cool. Uh, but what the, what GMC has done here, and it's for now, it's unique to the um, to the Sierra. The the Silverado is not going to get this. It it's can go in six different ways. So it's basically a split tailgate. So the the top half. You know, most of the the most of the center part of it, you can um, fold that down separately. So first of all, you if you just open the tailgate normally, there's a backstop that flips up, you know, and it's up you know against the back edge. So if you have long objects in the uh, that you want to put in the bed and you don't want them to slide out, you know, you have this like about a six inch high backstop, you know, that will keep things from sliding out the back of the tailgate. And if you have the, the long, long bed version of the truck, you have about eight and a half feet there. So you can use that to put, you know, four by eight sheets of plywood in the, in the bed, you know, and, you know, they'll, they'll just, you know, go right up against that backstop and you don't have to worry about tying them down or anything. Um, and then, with the uh, the next thing you can do is that that center section of the tailgate itself can drop down, so that the combination of the backstop and that piece that drops down becomes your step. Um, you can also, you know, when the tailgate is up, you can drop just that that middle section down, and it becomes like a, a work area uh, at the. Um, you know, so for, you know, uh, commercial uses uh, or even, you know, for, for a tailgate party, you know, that becomes a table, you know, kind of like at a bar height, uh, you know, it's about four feet, four feet up off the ground, you know, so there's a lot of different ways you can use it. Very, very cool feature, you know, and it's all built right into this tailgate. Um, and, you know, so that's that's very handy. Um, but then one of the other things that is totally unique to the Sierra is this optional carbon fiber bed. Yeah. So that to me, that made me pause for a second because I, I can't remember whether it was GM or Ford that had been sort of touting like, yeah, okay, fine. Composite beds, not carbon fiber, but there's several trucks out there with composite beds, you know, the original yeah, gla- glass reinforced composites. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, they've been taking shots at the composite beds and now they're coming out with almost like the ultimate composite bed with carbon fiber. Uh, it's, it's like, yeah, forget everything we said before about metal yeah. beds and how you want that. Like this is, this is the new great thing. And I, I agree. Composite well, beds are fantastic. Yeah. Well, back, back in the early two thousands, you know, Ford on the Explorer sport pickup, um, did a composite bed on that one. And they also did a limited run of Rangers back in the mid nineties as an experiment, but the Explorer sport was the first kind of mainstream production application of a composite pickup bed. But I mean, you know, that was a fairly small bed, you know, it, it was, you know, it wasn't really that useful as a pickup truck. Um, and it wasn't, a, it wasn't a huge seller, but that, you know, that was the first you know, kind of production composite pickup bed. Um, but, what they've done with this one, um, you know, the material and the manufacturing process for this bed is something that's totally new and has never been done for, for automotive applications before. You know, traditional carbon fiber stuff, you know, when you see carbon fiber parts on a car, you know, if when they're not painted, you usually, you know, you'll see the, the matte weave, you know, and the way they're, the way they're made, you know, they take a, um, you know, basically a carbon fiber mat, you know, a woven carbon fiber mat, you know, it's like a fabric. They lay it into a mold and they, you know, put the resin in there and they, they, they press it in, you know, they press the two halves of the mold together and then they bake it in an autoclave to cure it. So in the autoclave like that, that's actually, it's under vacuum, right? They, they, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that's about a 45 minute process to do that. Yeah. Um, And for something as large as a pickup truck bed too, it's, uh, yeah, (laughs) well, uh, you know, and, 
you know, the, the carbon fiber mat, you know, because you need long strands of carbon fiber to, to do that. You know, it's very expensive. Uh, it's an exp it's an expensive material and it's an expensive process and it takes a long time. And it's a very slow process to make that, which is why we've only seen it on very low volume applications. Um, you know, the closest to a higher volume application we've seen is the BMW i3. Um, and even that's still relatively low volume. Um, and they, you know, they've, they're still using that same type of process, although they've adapted it and made it more cost effective. What they're doing for the Sierra is something completely different. So instead of long strands of carbon fiber, this is, uh, this is essentially a um, sheet molding compound which is a material that they've been using, you know, um, you know, since the early seventies, uh, for the bodies of Corvettes, you know, they, they use it for a wide variety of applications, but they've, in the past, it's always been used with glass fiber reinforcement. Um, and you know, so the way it's made, you, know, you basically have one layer, you know, with a, a pasty resin on there and you put the fibers on it. Um, and then a second layer goes on there and then you just press it into a mold right. and heat it up. And it's about a one minute cycle time to make a part. Well, it's, it's, um, if you're familiar with fiberglass at all, like do it yourself fiberglass, you can get the mat and you can yeah. also get like the, the, uh, it, I guess it's also mat, but it's like you can get the woven mat or the random strands where they're, they're, is that what you're talking about? And that, that's yeah, the random strands, you know, and that the strand, you know, the strands of fiber are, you know, typically about an inch long. Mm -hmm. And it's those random strands. That's what typically gets used in, in most applications, most volume production applications. Much and cheaper. That's what, and that's what they're doing for the, the carbon fiber bed on the Sierra is, you know, the random strands of carbon fibers. And, you know, you can you can see you look at it, you can see the random strands in there. But um, yeah, so that makes it far less expensive. It's, you know, molding each of the parts for this thing. The bed is made of four parts, you know, that are then bolted together um you know it takes about a minute you know so one minute cycle time to do well, that as opposed I, to 45 minutes for you know the traditional approach yeah so that's comparable with the, with a, a body press like a steel yeah. steel press so yeah exactly and you know the this this carbon fiber bed saves 62 pounds compared to the steel bed and it's tougher than the steel bed. You know, they showed a video during the presentation, you know, you know, you know, you remember the ad they did a couple of years ago um, for the Silverado where they took a front end loader and dropped a bunch of cinder blocks into the bed of a, of an F-150 of an aluminum yep. F-150 and it tore up the aluminum. Yeah. And then they did that with a Silverado. Well, they did the same thing with the carbon fiber bed, you know, and, and the, the blocks, you know, nothing, you know, I mean, it did, it literally just didn't even dent them, didn't even dent the bed. You know, and then they, they showed a bunch of other stuff, you know, somebody standing in there with a sledgehammer pounding on one of these blocks and, you know, the bed is totally impervious to it. It's 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 really impressive. And I can see a lot of interesting applications for this carbon fiber SMC going forward. Got to love those aerospace materials. Yep. Uh, they've they've actually they've taken 300 something pounds out of the Sierra, which is pretty impressive. And three three sixty. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a lot. <laughs> Yeah, well, and you know, and that and that's on the base steel version. That's without the carbon fiber bed. So you you know the carbon fiber bed, you know, that takes it up to over four hundred pounds. That's significant. I mean, they must, and it's uh, the engine stayed the same. It's the, the five point three liters. So uh, yeah, same same. Engine. So far, the you know they've announced the same engines that are in the Silverado. So you get the five three and the six point two V eight. Um, with the new um, dynamic skip fire system that can shut off up to seven of the eight cylinders. And then the um, the other the other version is the uh, 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 the the th three liter inline diesel 
inline six diesel that's coming oh, as yeah. well. That's going to be super neat. I can't wait to ch- just check that one out. Um, I mean, it, I've heard smack talk about the way it looks. And I honestly think it looks great, but between the silver, the, the Sierra and the Ram now, like which do you think is the sort of better refresh? Uh, I don't know. I, I think they're, I think they're, they both look good in their own ways. You know, I, I, I can't honestly say that I have a particular preference for one over the other. I don't, I'm, I'm unoffended by both of them. Let's put it that way. <laughs> they both, I mean, look, you know, look yeah, they, they both look like big pickup trucks. I mean, there, there's yeah. only so much you can do with the pickup truck form factor, you know, That's and, true. and maintain the, the, the functionality of the thing. Um, you know, so, you know, they're, they're, they both look good, you know, significantly more modern. You know, they've got a little, you know, the, the GM trucks especially have a little more character than they did before. Um, you know, the, the GMC, the Sierra, especially I think is a, is a good improvement. It's a little cleaner than before. Um, you know, granted the, during the presentation yesterday, the exterior designer kind of went on and on a little bit too much about the detailing and the grill. <laughs> I already had a chat with Terry Radigan about that. Um, but you know, <laughs> Hey, you know, you do good work. You're proud of it. You want to talk about it. Hey, look, I, it has I, that lovely I totally sympathize pattern. with that. Yeah. Um, Sure. And, and details are really what set the cars apart today anyway. I mean, that was the thing that I appreciated the most about the Volvo this week was just how everything seemed uh, fussed over. They, they attended to all the details, and that, mm-hmm. that's important. So uh, we are out of the era of sort of slapdash pickup truck assembly. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Even if you got the base model of the new Sierra with the 4.3 liter V6 and, and stuff, like this is – trucks are in a different place than they ever were before. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I don't know that we're actually going to get um, uh, a 4.3 liter um, this time. I'm not, I'm not sure what we're going to have as the, as the base engine this time. I, I think it might actually be a version of the uh, the 3.6 liter. Oh, okay. So I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be surprised to see the 4.3 go away. So they're they're really pushing. I guess they're they're doing the same thing that Ford and Lincoln are. Right? It seems like they're trying to push a little bit of difference in because this is the most different the Sierra has been from the Silverado in forever. I can't remember. Yeah, well, I time. think I think we'll have the same powertrains in both. I don't, because you know they they haven't announced any any gas V six engine options for either one of them. Those those okay. announcements will be coming later. Um, so uh, you know, but my my guess is you know we'll probably see the four three go away and be replaced by a version of the three six. So, all right, well, pickup trucks continue to evolve and, you know, we're going to get midsize trucks under so that we just, it just, it's, it's this weird thing. It's like a cycle. Yeah. Start, start small, get big. New thing comes, start small, gets big. All right. Yeah, um, exactly. I think we, we've exhausted the topic list, but. Uh, yeah, we, we, um, we, we have uh, one longer email that uh, we'll come back to next week, um, you know, with, that was looking for some, uh, some buying advice, some shopping advice. Um, but I do want to address uh, one other question that came in, and I, for the life of me, I cannot find the original, um, but it was about... Um, uh, it was it was asking about USB C in vehicles, uh, you know, and for for those of us that own newer Android phones uh, or own a lot of uh, newer laptops, uh, you know, we're now starting to get USB C showing up in there uh, in in all those devices, and you know, 
all of our cars and trucks still have USB-A, USB Type-A ports, which are the larger rectangular ones. USB-C are nice because um, they're reversible, so you don't have to think about which way it goes in. And yeah. And also they can uh, transmit a lot more power. Uh, so you can get uh, up to 100 watts over a USB-C port, uh, which is why they're using them for, you know, for charging ports for laptops and things like that now. Uh, none of the phones are doing 100 watt charging yet. But um, even even phones with USB Type-C, you know, are doing like 15 to 18 watts charging. So they have much faster charging. Um, so the question was, when are we going to see USB-C ports uh, showing up in vehicles? And the answer is very, very soon. Um, the, it looks like the, the first ones uh, to hit the market are going to be the new RAM pickups. Um, and I'm actually going out to uh, Phoenix on Monday. Uh, to drive the new Ram. And uh, so I'll let you know how those work out in there. And the um, the Silverado and Sierra also have USB-C ports. Uh, they have uh, ports in both the front and rear seating positions. Uh, so they have both USB-A and USB-C. So you can plug in whatever you need to plug to, to charge. And they, they have plenty of ports. I think the last time I had a Silverado, the current generation Silverado, I think it had something like six or seven USB ports in it. It's, uh, I think you have to make them for, like match the amount of cup holders. Yeah, I, I believe I believe that is the new uh, the new SAE standard. Yeah, <laughs> is for, it really? For, no. <laughs> okay, you're very convincing. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. So, so yeah, you can you can never have too many USB ports in a modern vehicle. No, and designers must like them too, or the you know the folks that have to package all this stuff in the interior because the USB C port is physically much smaller. Uh, yeah. than, than a, the, the older traditional USB ports. So, and, you know, we'll, we'll continue to have, you know, both ports in there for probably quite a few years to come, you know, pro probably as long as, um, you know, Apple holds out and continues to put their little lightning connectors on iPhones and iPads, we'll probably continue to have uh, USB A's. Well, actually even, even for other devices as well. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff that doesn't use USB C yet. Yeah. And um, that's the frustrating but, part. So I have a MacBook pro, uh, that I use for work and it's only got USB-C and it drives me a little bit crazy because I'm often trying to interface with the USB world and I need to dongle for everything <laughs> I'm doing. And it's like, sometimes I got to string three or four dongles together. Like if I want to, if I want to project my screen or, you know, just connect to other devices, it's, it's a real pain. And mm -hmm. I, I can see that in cars too, unless you have both kind of ports side to side, but that drives up costs. So at a certain point, uh, you know, they, I, I wonder if they're saying like, okay, we'll give it a five-year window. And by that point, everybody who, who will have re replaced their devices, I suppose, so that it, it should have reached some sort of critical mass and we can start taking the older USB ports out of cars because that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. That'll, that'll probably happen. I mean, well, what may well happen first is we'll see the the old round, you know, cigarette lighter ports, the 12 volt ports go away first. I mean, those take up a lot more space. Um, those may disappear earlier or, or may end up keeping those around forever. Who knows? Um, but yeah. And then at some point, USB-A ports, the rectangular ones will, will go away and just be replaced by USB-C. Yeah. Or you know what? I'm just going to get a pair of jumper cables and run them out the window. <laughs> under the hood just, just look we got plenty of power here just don't touch yeah. them together that's right <laughs> um so yeah that question came in from from jeff i found it it was uh ah, facebook. Okay. facebook um but yeah so 
if you have a question you would like us to answer or attempt to answer, uh, feel free to send it in. You can catch us on Facebook or um, through Twitter. We're on Twitter at uh, WheelBearingsCast. No vowels except for the A in cast. Uh, both of us are infamous enough on, on Twitter where you can find us. You are at Samid. I am at Boston underscore auto. Go to WheelBearings.media. You can email us from there. Other than that, I, I think we're we've we've consumed a, a good hour of everybody's time, and I, I yeah, think we're Le- leave us a review on iTunes if you if you like the show, and you know tell your friends about it, and and uh, yeah, thanks for listening. All right, we'll see everybody next week. Happy trails. All right, bye bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.